So we are uh, continuing in our series tonight entitled Jesus and. We are walking through the Gospel of Luke, uh, looking at the story of the life of Jesus, his teaching, his ministry. Um, the series will kind of culminate with his death and resurrection uh, that we'll talk about on Easter Sunday. And uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is Jesus and temptation. And when it comes to temptation, temptation is one of those interesting things. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because it's universal. It's something that brings all of us together. It puts us on common ground. I mean, does anyone in here uh, not struggle with temptation? Does anyone, you know, like, that's just not a big deal for me, right? No. Uh, how many of you, maybe you'd be so brave as to answer this question, because this is certainly me. You feel like, hey, you know, when it comes to temptation, I feel like maybe sometimes I, I struggle more than I should, or I struggle more than, than some of the other people I know. Okay, yeah, that's, that's me, right? Uh, and uh, temptation is just so interesting because, and we'll talk about this, sometimes the temptations we face are significant, sometimes the temptations we face are, are kind of silly almost, and the Holy Spirit kind of has this funny way of doing this, you know, I'm, I'm preparing for this sermon this week, and, and uh, I realized actually last Saturday, I realized uh, as the Cardinals were wrapping up their victory over the Packers, I'm like, I'm going to miss the game next week. Now, I have been a lifelong Arizona Cardinals fan, and so on about Thursday, I thought, you know, I, these notes are you know, pretty well outlined. I wonder if I could, like, call out sick and just kind of send these off to Jack and just say, hey, you know what, can you, can you take this one for me? Stay home and watch the game. I mean, but I didn't. I resisted. I'm here. I'll be okay. The Cardinals probably won't be, but, uh, but I will. Now, temptation, even if you're not a Christian, right? I mean, you know what it's like to face temptation because there's something inside of you. You still have a standard, don't you? You may look at, at the Christians that you know, and, and hopefully they're people that live lives that kind of are God-honoring and, and of a different kind of value system, and that that's a result of their relationship with Jesus. It's not that they do it because they want Jesus to love them, but they do it because Jesus loves them, and there's a huge difference. And uh, you may say, you know, that's not me. I'm not really sure what I believe about Jesus. Uh, but you still have a standard, don't you? There are still certain, certain lines that you may go right up to the edge of that line, but you are not willing to step across that line. You say, uh-uh, no way. It is a temptation for you, but you will not do it. Temptation is universal. The other thing about a temptation is that it's irrational. And if you ever stop and think about some of the temptations we face, it doesn't make sense because we know, we know that thing that's tempting us, whatever it is, we know that it's going to hurt us. We know that long-term it's not going to be good to give in. It may, it may bring a short-term benefit. We may get some short-term pleasure out of it, but long-term we know it's not going to take us where we want to be. And yet we find ourselves giving in anyway. Sometimes on a daily basis. Temptation is universal. It's irrational. And when it comes to temptation, what we typically think is that it's an issue of self-control and willpower. If I just had more self-control, if I just had more willpower, then I'd be able to resist. And so you look at, and I don't know what your temptation is, or maybe there's a couple in your life, and you look at that. Maybe uh, you struggle with your emotions. Uh, you're tempted to kind of just fly off the handle and get angry real easy. Maybe that's your thing. 
Uh, maybe you struggle um, with being honest, that you kind of feel the need to always stretch the truth a little. Maybe make yourself look a little better than what you are. Maybe not uh, tell everyone all the details, kind of make things appear as if uh, they're not what they actually are in reality. Maybe it's, it's sexual purity. Maybe it's living a healthy lifestyle. Maybe for you, the struggle is living within your means financially. All your friends are living a different kind of lifestyle. You don't have the, the kind of money that they do, but you want to experience what they've experienced. And so you're tempted to kind of to go into debt and to burden yourself financially in order to live a certain lifestyle. Maybe it's prioritizing your relationship with God, putting him first in your schedule, actually leaving yourself some time in the day or during the week to spend with him. Whatever your temptation is, we typically think that it's about self-control. And if I could just have more self-control or willpower, then I would, I would overcome these temptations. I'd be able to resist. And so we're going through the motions during the week and that temptation, whatever your thing is, it comes up right there in front of you. And here it is. And you give in. And you're like, oh, did it again. I can't believe it. And, and you feel bad and you beat yourself up and your conscience kind of convicts you, and, which is actually a good thing because it means it's not too late to change. And so what you do is you go back and you say, okay, that's it. That's the last time. I'm never going to do it again. And you get all bowed up and, you know, and you, you muster up all this self-control and, and willpower. And then, you know, temptation is like that annoying dog, right? It just comes back and you're like, no, sit, stay. And it listens. And you're like, yes, finally, I've got victory over this temptation. And that, that happens for a few days. Maybe it goes on for a few weeks. But then, then you have a hard day. Things don't go so well. And here comes your temptation again, because that's how temptation is. It seems to strike hardest when we're the weakest. And temptation comes along and, and you give in. And the whole cycle starts all over again. And you think to yourself, man, I, I'm never going to be rid of this. Because you think the temptation is a matter of self-control and willpower. But what we fail to realize in those moments is that all the self-control and willpower in the world are not enough to help free us from the temptations in our lives. We actually need something more. There's something bigger going on behind the scenes, and we're going to discover what that is tonight as we look at Jesus and temptation. Now, how many of you, how many of you like marshmallows? S'mores? S'mores? Anybody? Okay, maybe you don't like marshmallows, you like s'mores. Okay. So in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, researchers at Stanford Uni University conducted what came to be known as the marshmallow experiments. And here's what they do. Uh, they'd bring children in, uh, three to five-year-olds, they'd bring them into a room and it'd be just the researcher and the child. And they'd sit the child down at the chair and there'd be a table in front of them. And the researcher would put, would put a marshmallow out there and, and then he would tell the child, they'd say, okay, here's the deal. I'm gonna leave the room. You can eat this marshmallow if you want to when I leave the room. But if you will wait 15 minutes, then I will come back into the room. I'll give you a second marshmallow and you can eat them both. Now, if you are the parent of a preschooler or if you are uh, the aunt or the uncle of a preschooler or if you have ever known a preschooler, you know that 15 minutes is like an eternity 
you know that they have no concept of time. Okay, my oldest is four. She's obsessed with time, but she really doesn't have much of a concept of it. And so, I mean, we'll be driving to church and how long till we get there? 10 minutes. How long now? 10 minutes. How long now? Nine and a half. What's nine and a half? Well, it's less than 10, but more than nine. Oh, how long now? Nine, right? They have no concept of time. And so it was, it was rather humorous to watch these kids. Some of them, they would just, they'd just grab the marshmallow and pop it right in. I mean, they were just, they were done right away. Others of them, you know, they may get up out of their chair and they're kind of, you know, they're walking around, they're stressing out about it. What am I going to do? And, and then there was some, some who actually waited, some who actually got to experience having two marshmallows. Now, they weren't just playing around and having fun with these kids. There was actually something going on. What they did was they tracked these children as they went into their teenage years. And here's what they found. They found that the kids who were able to wait, the kids who, who could wait the 15 minutes for that second marshmallow, so they'd get two of them, that as they got older, they showed a greater ability to delay gratification in their lives. It means that, that when they were offered something and then offered something better, but something they were going to have to wait for, something they maybe couldn't have right away, that they actually had the patience to wait for that, that they weren't always trying to, to take a shortcut and just get whatever they could in that moment. So fast forward to the year 2015. My then three-year-old is finishing lunch and she asks for one of those little Chips Ahoy cookies. And so I go up to her and I tell her, this is a true story, I tell her, honey, you can have one cookie now, or if you wait until after your nap, I'll let you have two cookies. Whew. Big brown eyes staring at me. Are you teasing me, daddy? No, no, I'm not teasing you. More staring. How about one cookie now and one cookie after my nap? Okay, kids have this amazing ability to reason with you. No, honey, that's not the way it works. It's one now or two later. You just see her little brain going and, and she says, okay, I'll have the two cookies. And she gets down and walks away and I'm like, oh my goodness. We've achieved parenting nirvana. This is it. She's going to be able to delay gratification. This is so wonderful, right? Okay, and, and how long until we can do this on the second one? Okay, she's one. Can we try that when she turns two? Is she too young at two? Like, how long before we can do this, right? And, and you know, I'm feeling like an all-star parent until later in the day as they're going to bed and they're like melting down and throwing a fit on the floor and, you know, but here's the deal though. Two things we just see in this experiment. Two things as it relates to temptation. One, there was more at stake than what those kids realized. The issue was not uh, simply could they wait and have a couple of marshmallows. There was more at stake than that. What was actually at stake was their ability later in life, a predictor, uh, a predictor of their ability later in life to be able to delay gratification. Now at three, four years old, they didn't understand that. But that's what the statistics showed time and time again. The second thing we see is that their confidence in the instructor had a lot to do with their ability and whether or not they were going to wait. 
See, if they didn't think the researcher was actually going to bring them a second marshmallow, then why wait? Just go ahead and, and eat it. If my daughter didn't think I was going to actually give her a second cookie, then, then she wouldn't have waited. If she thought I was teasing, she would have just eaten the first cookie after lunch. And when it comes to temptation, the same two things are true. There's always more at stake than what we realize. There's always more at stake. Our future is at stake. In some ways, the future of others is at stake. Maybe our, our family, our friends, our coworkers, because of the decisions we make when we give in to temptation. And then our faith, to some extent, is at stake. Not like we're going to lose our faith or God's going to turn his back on us, but our faith, the ability to walk in freedom from sin, is in some ways at stake when we're faced with temptations. The other thing is that our ability to withstand temptation in large part has to do with our confidence in God. Not our confidence like does he exist, but rather our confidence that he can be trusted, that he will come through and do what he says he will do, that the short-term gain that temptation is offering us is not as valuable as the long-term benefit of following and obeying God. That's what's at stake when we're facing temptation. And, and we look at it and we go, oh, it's about mustering up self-control and willpower, but there's something bigger going on behind the scenes. And we're gonna see this tonight as we look at the story of Jesus. See, at the heart of every temptation, at the heart of every temptation is the question, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? Can he be trusted to provide for my needs? Can he be trusted to, to direct my life? Can God be trusted to fulfill his promises? At the heart of every temptation is the question, can God be trusted? Jesus recognized this. And as we look tonight at the encounter that Jesus had in the wilderness where he faces temptation, as we look at his response to the temptations he faced, what we see is an invitation for us, an invitation to respond differently to the temptations in our lives. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. You can go there on your smartphone or in your Bible. Luke is in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels, one of the uh, four encounters uh, that tell, or four books that tell of the life of Jesus. And uh, this Luke we talked about last week was written by a doctor. Uh, he did a very careful investigation into the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus, and he wanted to write an orderly account, and he did so in what's known as the Gospel of Luke. And this wonderful text has been preserved for us for thousands of years, and we're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to pick it up starting in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now keep in mind what's happened right before this, what we talked about last week. Jesus has just been baptized. There's this incredible moment where we see all three persons of the Trinity. We see the, the Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a dove. We hear God the Father uh, saying to the Son, you are my beloved Son. In you I'm well pleased. And as Jack talked about this week, at that point in his life, Jesus had done absolutely nothing. 
See, Jesus' identity was not based on his position, his power, or his performance. His identity was rooted in his relationship with his heavenly Father. That was what kind of fueled his ministry. That was what gave him uh, kind of the inner strength to go forward and to minister and to carry out the mission for which he had been sent. And you look at the way this starts. It says Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Like this is a good thing. This is a, a positive experience. Jesus has just been baptized. Things are going well. And now in that moment, he's being led out into the desert by the Spirit. Now, some of you are here tonight, and you're Christians, or you'd say, I'm a Christian, I believe that, that Jesus is my Savior, that He died on the cross for my sins, that He rose again. I'm trusting in Him. And for some of you here tonight, what you need to hear has very little, if anything, to do with temptation. It has to do with what we just read right there. See, some of you are facing circumstances in your life, hardships, difficulties, and it has absolutely nothing to do with God's feelings about you. It has absolutely nothing to do with your power, your position, or your performance. You are loved. You are a child of the King. But even dearly beloved sons and daughters go through desert moments in their life. That's what Jesus is about to face here. The text goes on. It says, He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. So 40 days without eating in the desert. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So here's Jesus. He's, he's been in the desert 40 days and he's hungry. And that's not just like a throwaway comment that Luke makes, that's actually incredibly important because remember, Jesus is 100% fully God, but he's also 100% fully man. It's this, it's this mystery, this thing that we, we can't even hardly begin to understand that Jesus uh, didn't put aside his deity to become human, that he was 100% fully God, and then he became also and will forever be 100% fully man, the God-man. And here's Jesus, he's hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. He's vulnerable. These temptations he's about to face are real. And like we said, temptation seems to strike hardest when we're hungry. And what's the first temptation? To get rid of the hunger. Turn this stone into bread. Now you look at that and you say, what's the big deal? I mean, Jesus has the ability to do it. Would it be wrong for him to do it? I mean, after all, he created the stone in the first place. What's the big deal about turning it into bread. But Jesus knew that something deeper was going on. He quotes here as he does throughout this encounter from the book of Deuteronomy. He looks back to the nation of Israel. And he looks back to the time and he quotes the verse uh, from Deuteronomy that says that man will not live on, on bread alone. And it's this idea that, that God supernaturally fed the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And he did that to teach them that you don't just need bread to live. You need more than just physical sustainment to live. You need spiritual sustainment as well. 
You need God to live. And Jesus looks back to that and he says, I see what's going on here. The issue is, can my heavenly father be trusted? Can he be trusted to provide for my physical needs in his way and in his time? And so he's able to kind of, he's able to resist this temptation. And you look at, at our lives today, and this is the temptation we face all the time. Not the temptation to turn stones into bread, because let's face it, you can tempt me with that all day long. I can't do it. So it's really not a temptation. But there's a temptation we have sometimes to try and maybe meet our needs in our own way and in our own strength and in our own power, in our own time. We look for something legitimate, but we kind of, we try to get there in an illegitimate way. Maybe it, it sounds something like this. Uh, you know, he, he's not a Christian, but he's so nice. He treats me well. Yeah, I'd really love to, to marry a Christian, but I mean, this guy, he's just, he's wonderful, and he's agreed to just kind of let me do my own thing with God, and he'll do his own thing, and I just, I, I don't know, I'm thinking about taking him up on his offer. Or maybe you're, you're thinking, ah, you know, we're, we're probably going to get married, or we are married, and so, you know, what's the big deal about sexual purity? What's the big deal about moving in together? I mean, it, it makes sense economically. Doesn't God want us to, to be wise with our finances? Wouldn't it be better for us? I mean, who, who lives by that standard anyway? I mean, saving any and all sexual activity for marriage, that's so old-fashioned. It's so archaic. Or we find ourselves in a, in a situation uh, where we look at our job. And instead of trusting that God has put us where he has for a reason, we're always trying to, to jump, to get ahead, to just, just a little more money, just a little more flexibility in my schedule. And we're moving from one job to the next because we're not, we're not willing to just be patient for a little bit and even just see maybe what God would have us do. We're tempted and we give in because we don't trust that God will come through and that God will provide for our needs and that God will bring us what's best for us at the right time and in his way. Jesus saw what was really going on though and he was able to resist that temptation. So now the devil, he tries another one. Verse five, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now this is a, this is a fascinating temptation because basically what the devil is trying to do here is he's trying to offer Jesus a, a kind of a, the easy road. He's trying to offer him a shortcut. He's trying to take Jesus to the place where, where Jesus gets to rule and reign over this world without all the pain that was going to come along the way, without the hardship of, of being rejected by man, without the hardship of going to the cross and all the agony that would endure. Satan, in some way, has been given authority, and at some level, he's been given dominion over this world, and he's, he's offering it to Jesus. He's saying, here, why don't you take this? Why don't you take the easy road? And Jesus looks at that, and he realizes what's going on. And he says, no, 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 this is not just about uh, taking the easiest way possible. This is a question of, of, can I trust my heavenly father? Can I trust him to direct my steps? Can I trust him as we go on this journey over the next few years of life and ministry? Can I trust him to bring me through 
to the end. And he looks back again to the nation of Israel. And he says, you know, Israel had been told to worship the Lord their God and to serve him only. And she did not do that. She was drawn into idolatry. She worshiped the gods of the nations around her. And it did not go well. And Jesus is able to resist the temptation. He demonstrates a trust in his heavenly father. And isn't it true that so many of our uh, temptations in our lives are about taking shortcuts? It's not that what we want is bad. It's not that what we want is wrong. It's just we're tempted to take a shortcut to get there. Uh, Maybe we're uh, tempted to, you know, just kind of fudge a little on exactly what our accomplishments are professionally. Maybe we're tempted to just, you know, kind of exaggerate what our relationships were like in the past, maybe clean things up a little. Maybe we're, we're tempted to kind of be dishonest financially because we're convinced that, you know, the deal might fall through if, if we give them the entire picture and we let them see what, what the financial situation really is. In those moments, we give in to temptation because we don't trust that God will bring us through to the end in His way and in His time. Jesus trusted His heavenly Father. He was able to resist. And so now the devil comes and, and he ups his game. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He's like, okay, I see what you're doing, Jesus. You keep quoting scripture. I'll quote scripture too. And he quotes from Psalms, from the Psalms. He says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in, your ha- in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Satan is a master of twisting the truth. He's a master of taking the very words of God pulling them out of their proper context and making them appear as if they mean something that they don't mean. And Jesus looks right through that. And again, he goes back to the nation of Israel. And he says, no, 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 no. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Israel did that. They found themselves wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And with that, the devil left Jesus. Jesus realized in every single instance that there was more going on. Jesus realized in this last instance that that what was really at stake was his his trust and confidence in his heavenly Father. Could, Could God be trusted to fulfill his promises? And when you look at at our lives, isn't it true uh, that there's times where where maybe we're tempted to kind of take a situation and to act on it and then throw it back on God. We take a a promise of God and we pull it out of context like the devil did and we kind of turn it into something that that maybe it was never meant to be. And our favorite way to, to kind of play this off is we're saying, you know, I'm just acting in faith. I'm acting in faith. And really what we're doing is we're covering up kind of a, maybe an unwise or a selfish decision. We just say, you know, I'm just, I'm acting in faith. And so we do something like we go out and we say, you know, I just, I'm not feeling my job. It's just not doing it for me anymore. It's not that exciting anymore. I can't seem to find anything else, but you know what? I'm just going to quit. 
I'm just going to find it. You know, God will provide for me. God will trust me. And we just kind of throw it back on God and say, hey, God, you, you promised to take care of me. You promised to provide for our needs. Jesus said, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll wear. So you know what, God, I'm, I'm just going to trust you with that. Or maybe we, uh, we're tempted in our marriage to just kind of say, you know what, that's enough. I'm tired of the fighting. I'm tired of the arguing. I'm tired of the bickering. And we're, just, we're ready to just walk away. Because we just look at, at, at the situation. We say, God, I know you've called me to, to this lifelong commitment. I know you've called us to kind of to forgive one another and to try to work it out together. But you know, I'm, I'm just not sure that he can change. I'm just not sure that she even wants to change. And, and I know, God, I know you want me to be happy, right? You want me to be happy? And so we just kind of, we throw this back on God. And in those moments, we give in to temptation because we're not sure that God can be trusted to fulfill his promises. But Jesus was sure. Jesus was sure every single time that God could be trusted. And every single time he realized that something more was at stake. He realized that although there was an immediate gain from what was right in front of him, whether it was food or power or control, whatever it was, Jesus realized that something more was at stake. And what we see in his wilderness encounter is an invitation for you and me. And the invitation is to trade temptations in life for trust in God. It's an invitation to trade temptations in life for trust in God. To to trade those things, whatever they are in our lives, for trust. Whatever the temptations may be that you face, you know what they are. You have been invited to trade those temptations for trust. To trust your heavenly Father. To trust that He will provide for you, to trust that he will guide and direct your life, that he will fulfill his promises, and that he will do all of that in his way and in his time according to his plan, which is the best plan for you. At the heart of every temptation is the question, can God be trusted? Jesus believed that his heavenly father could be trusted. That's why he was able to resist temptation. And you and I have been invited to respond the same way that Jesus did, to trade the temptations in our life for trust in our heavenly Father. Now, is that easy? No. Are we going to fail? Yes. Probably most of us tomorrow, some of us tonight. But that's why Jesus came. He came and he lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived the perfect life, which meant that he could die a sacrificial death on our behalf, the death that you and I deserved. And he rose in power. And when he rose in power, he had defeated the power of sin, which means that we don't have to give in to temptation. Because here's the secret, and this is what we're going to end with tonight. Here's a little secret. When it comes to temptation, you and I are not alone. It's not up to us. It's not up to us in our own strength and power. If it was, we'd be in trouble. But the same Holy Spirit that filled and empowered Jesus lives inside you and me if you're a Christian and gives you the strength you need to fight temptation, to resist temptation, to trust your Heavenly Father even when it doesn't make sense, even when you can't see how it's all going to work out, 
even when that temptation is right in front of you, begging you to give in. So let me ask you, what's that area or areas of your life where you're tempted to give in? And would you be willing to trade those temptations for trust in your heavenly Father? Would you be willing to trust God and just see what happens? See what he does in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, uh, that we aren't alone when it comes to temptation, that, that you have sent your spirit to live in our hearts, to empower us, to enable us. Would you give us the strength to recognize in those moments that we can trust you, that you do want the best for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. As we remember now his sacrifice through communion, as we take the bread and remember his broken body, as we take the cup and remember the blood he shed on our behalf, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you loved us, that you've called us to be sons and daughters, that you've adopted us into your family. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.